We are at spring break. How many of you are on spring break right now? Oh, yeah. Are you pretty excited about that? Yes. Come on, parents. We're Okay. All right. The kids are excited, right? And I want you to know, isn't this beautiful spring break weather we're having, right? It's like, ah, why am I not in school now? I think it's going to get better because it can't get a lot worse. All right. But you know how spring is. Man, when spring happens, it's like all of a sudden you see things growing. Flowers are starting to blossom and trees get like little leaves and some of them have flowers. And I mean, things really start to grow in spring. And uh, I have had a lot of experience with watching things grow. Uh, I've got to thank my parents for that. Um, I don't know where this completely came from, but when we moved to Rochester, Minnesota, when I was in junior high and high school, uh, my parents had this grandiose idea that in the large farm area, farm field behind our house, that they would plant a huge garden, okay? We've got four boys, they're thinking, and they can tend to the garden, okay? And so we did. I don't know if you have experience with gardening, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of work. You till the soil, you plant all the seeds, uh, you cover them up, and then there's, there's lots of weeding that has to take place. And I discovered really early on that my parents thought that we were going to be doing the weeding. And weeding we did. And, of course, there's the raking. And my dad wanted, he had a steel fork rake, and he wanted us to go down the rows so he could see all the straight lines, the little OCD things taking place there, you know. And, and there's weeding. Did I mention that? And then there you're watching things grow. And eventually you get to realize the fruits of your labor. You'd actually get to harvest things. And there's, of course, weeding. Every morning there's weeding to be done. And, you know, it was when I was in junior high that my dad introduced me to a product called miracle Grow. Uh, all it is, it's a fertilizer, and what you do is you take the right amount, of the scoop full of that, and you put it in with that gallon of water, and you go up and down the rows, and especially like the tomatoes, and it's called miracle Grow for a reason. Literally, you could watch the tomato plants, just it seemed like each day, just get bigger and bigger. They started really small. And pretty soon, they were bigger than me. And we had to put cages around them, and they had all these tomatoes. And I'm like, I became a big believer in miracle Girl. If you want your plants to grow, all you need is miracle Girl, right? And that, I got it, right? And I'm telling you about this because some of you are like, man, I need some help. I got a lot of sorry plants. miracle Girl will help you. I'm also telling you about miracle Girl because miracle Girl is to plants which God's grace is to our souls. Miracle Grow is to plants what God's grace is to our souls. You see, God's grace brings health and strength. That's what it does. And it is exactly why that when you come to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, as Paul is moving through this letter, he makes this great statement. Chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see Paul's deep affection. He, he really cares for his people. And, and he's discipling Timothy. And Timothy is a pastor in Ephesus. Paul is in prison in Rome. And he says, Timothy, you are a product of grace. Keep going back to the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. Literally, to be strengthened inwardly through this grace that comes from knowing Christ. Now, you and I are familiar with grace. We sing about grace. I bet you know the song Amazing Grace. And we, we really oftentimes, and rightfully so, associate grace with salvation. And that is exactly what we need. You and I are sinners. The people on your left and your right, 
although they look very nice and they're all dressed up and they got their raincoats on, they're actually sinners. Wickedly so. The guy standing up here, ah, we, I, I've got serious sin issues. But we have a God of grace. You and I are dead in our trespasses and sin. The wages of sin is death. Man, it's so good to have the kids here on Family Sunday because they know all the answers. The wages of sin is death. You and I are separated from God because we are sinners by virtue of our relationship to Adam, and we sin because we're sinners. We need life and forgiveness, and that's why the Father sent the eternal Son to enter into humanity to bring about our salvation. He lived a perfect life. He died as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And he rose again. And any who will believe in Christ, if you'll truly trust him, you can have forgiveness of sin and life. And it is all of grace. You can't earn it. There is nothing that you do to clean up your act. And like God says, okay, you're clean enough. You can be on my team. None of that business. Let's face it. We're huge sinners. Jesus provides salvation. And it's all of grace. But you need to know something. And I'm glad you're fired up about that. Because that same grace that brings salvation also brings about growth and health, stability and maturity. God's grace brings salvation and sanctification. It is why Paul is telling Timothy, My son, you are a product of God's grace. You are saved by grace and you will be strengthened by grace. Be therefore, my son, be strong that is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, grace is greater than we think. Now, just to give you a definition of grace, it's really the blessings of God freely given to people. They're not earned. They're not deserved. They're just because God is gracious by nature. And God's free and loving actions and gifts, they are expressions of his grace. It's especially seen in salvation, but also in empowering believers. He strengthens us by virtue of us being in relationship with him. We're saved by grace and strengthened by grace. And so what Paul is directing Timothy is saying, listen, life is hard. I'm in prison. You're going through your own share of heartache. You got people trying to tear your life apart. Ministry is difficult. Just keep going back to Jesus because Jesus is the one that provides the grace and the strength that we need. You see, if you want hope and peace, you need renewal and forgiveness. Friends, what we need is this time with Jesus. There's no peace, no hope, no strength found apart from him. It may take you a while to learn the lesson. God may have to bring you to the end of yourself, which he will do. Why? Because there's only one way you'll ever be strengthened in life, and that is through the grace of Christ. And so, you know, you might be like me. you got challenges and difficulties. Maybe you're here and you are discouraged. Some of you are depressed. Some of you are at the end of yourselves. You are facing obstacles that you're not exactly sure how you're going to get through. That makes you a perfect candidate for grace. You see, the Father, He is good, and He has to bring us to the end of ourselves where we'll stop trusting in our own resources, in our own might, and our own strength to bring us to a place where we will now come to Jesus and say, God, I need your strength. I need the grace of Christ Jesus because I can't do this. I don't have peace. I don't have perspective. I need your love. I need your grace. And so, 
That's why Paul is telling Timothy, you therefore, my son, be strong. That is in the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. You see, God's grace is far greater than you and I imagine. You see, it's God's grace that is greater than anything we have done or that has been done to us. It's God's grace that overcomes our past. Isn't that powerful? You and I are not defined by our sin. When we trust Christ, we are now defined by a Savior who literally has saved us from our sins. God always sees us in the Son, never in our sin. He's redeemed our past. He actually redeems our pain. And he, you know what he does? He rewrites our story. Our story is one of grace. It's all about Jesus. That's why he says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's the source of strength in our life. And how do you do that? How do you grow strong in grace? Friends, you, you and I, we have to find time where we're simply with him. In our busy lives and our many responsibilities and all the demands and all the emails and all the little uh, texts that we're getting, we need to be still and know that he's God. We have to find time that we're just actually reading from his word with an eagerness, Lord, teach my heart. A time to pray, to pour out our heart before him. A time to be still. A time to be encouraged by fellow believers. A time for worship. All of these, just even hearing the word preached, brings grace to our souls, renews us once again to who Jesus is and the strength that he provides. And so really, the miracle grow of grace that had saved Timothy and developed him over his life, Paul says this, let you, let you understand my final words to you, Timothy. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's been a reality for years. It must continue to be so. Now, what does it look like, this growing in grace? What does growing in grace really look like? Well, what I'd like to do is have you turn back a few books to the book of Philippians. And for the, our remaining time, I want you to go to Philippians chapter 2. I want to show you from Timothy's life what growing in grace really looks like. And so we have here in the book of Philippians, Paul's in prison again, not because he's doing illegal things. He's in prison because he is true to the gospel. He is uncompromising in the faith. And he was in prison at this time when he wrote Philippians, and he's writing to these new believers... And he's telling them, I'm sending you Timothy. And this, he gives a description of what growing in grace looks like when you look at Timothy's life. When a believer is growing in grace, changes that Jesus brings about start to occur. One is that you start developing a concern for others. So look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul writes, but I hope in the Lord Jesus, meaning Jesus is the sovereign one, and he's in control, whether I get released from prison or not. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send to you Timothy, to send to him to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You see, what happens is, when you and I start growing in the grace of Christ, developing patterns of finding Jesus to be our peace and our hope and our strength, we begin to develop a concern for others. This is kind of how Paul worked. When he went and presented the gospel, he at the same time discipled individuals. 
And he poured into them. Just reading through the New Testament, you find guys like Timothy, but there's also Titus and Silas and Prometheus and Epaphras and Epaphroditus, uh, Tychicus, just to name a few, of individuals he poured in. And what he would do is he would just invite them into relationship. He would invest in them. He would involve them in the work. And then he would really kind of inspire them. You now do the same. As I've trained and shaped and invested in you, so you do with others. And that's what you see here. Paul had been spending time with Timothy. Timothy likely comes to Christ during Paul's first missionary journey. And the second time when he makes his path through, he actually picks up Timothy. Timothy had already started really growing in the faith. Paul picks him up, and he just really starts making these intentional investments in him. And that's why he's saying, I want you to know that I'm sending one of my very best to you. I'm sending to you Timothy. He may be young, but he's not shallow. He's got spiritual depth. You might be a young person. And I want you to know, you have the opportunity for great involvement and investment. It's like God just specializes in taking young people and filling them with strength and knowledge and, and helping them grow. It's, it's one of the beauties here at Fellowship because we have a lot of young people. I, I can see junior high kids and elementary kids come to my mind. High school kids that have grace. God's grace. They have wisdom and maturity. We've got college kids. We have young adults that are walking that with a level of maturity that only could be explained by having spent serious time with Jesus. And that's what Paul was saying to Timothy. I'm sending you to him. And listen to how he describes him in verse 20. I have no one else of kindred spirit. Okay? Literally, one soul. Have you ever read about like Anne of Green Gables? What is she looking for? Anybody know? She's looking for a kindred spirit, right? Right? She's looking for that kindred spirit. What it means is to find someone that's one soul. They're like one in thought. You, you're, you have camaraderie. You have synergy. Uh, kind of a one plus one equals three. There is a shared commitment and shared conviction. Paul says, I've got no one else like Timothy. It's not saying that uh, there's only one that I've got this shared commitment. It's like what he's doing. He's pointing out, Timothy is like a gem. This guy is the really the finest that we have to offer. I've met no one else of kindred spirit who will, verse 20, genuinely be concerned for your welfare. See, Timothy is concerned for your well-being. This is the sign of true shepherds. A true shepherd is actually concerned about the well-being of others. It's, it's not about them looking like the star of the show, it's about them being concerned about the spiritual development of others, loving them. You're, you're grieved when they step into temptation and they bite into it. You want them to grow in grace. You're encouraging next steps. You love them. You want it well for their soul. This is a sign of a true shepherd. Paul says, Timothy is that kind of guy. I have someone like him. He's a kindred spirit. He is genuine. He's the authentic, real deal. He will be concerned for your welfare. That's what a true shepherd does. It's the love from the heart to see people really want to grow and experience the fullness of life in Christ. Let's kind of fast forward 2,000 years and where we're at. Well, we are really about us. I mean, it's interesting. Studies show that the average person spends 60% of their time in conversation talking about themselves. Isn't that interesting? 
Okay, this little scene on the bus, this happens all the time. We just like, you're thinking like, there can't be anyone more interesting than me, so I just got to tell you all about how wonderful I am. And this guy's like, man, I cannot wait to get off this bus, right? Because people just like, I, I just want you to know all about me because it is all about me. And it's self-centeredness, it's just like, it just owns us. When it comes to social media, studies show that 80% of communication that takes place on social media, like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, is about, anybody want to take a wild guess? It's about me, right? After all, it's all about me. Uh, right now, we, we're kind of like in what could be called look-at-me mania, okay? It's called selfies, right? And, you know, I mean... You know, if you're only taking 20, 30 a day, so you're not taking many or not, of just pictures of yourself, okay? And, and, you, and you do that, and you share that with others. And then, you know what? And if your arms are not long enough, they actually have these things called selfie sticks. And if you got one for Christmas or something like that, uh, I don't want you to feel bad about that. If you're taking pictures of yourself because you want to share it with your friends, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. There isn't. I, I get it. It's like, hey, look, here I am, and I'm taking a picture, and I'm smiling, and I cared up and thought of you, and I thought I'd send that to you. I get it. But this is, and I'm serious, I, it's, it's okay if you're taking selfies, you know. Uh, I don't, some of you are like, ha, 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 I only take 10 or 15 a day, okay. Listen, I want you to know this. God wants to move you by grace past yourself to others. It is a work of grace. It may be considered miraculous, but that's what the Lord does. When you and I are strengthened by grace, we start developing a concern for others. And that's what happened with Timothy. I'm sure Timothy was just like you and me, pretty self-centered. But a work of God's grace, not only bringing salvation, but sanctification, being set apart to the Lord, started to bring an other-centeredness to his life. Anybody ever heard of Tony Richardson? That's what I thought. First service, no one knew him. Surprising. Many of you are very into football. Tony Richardson is considered one of the finest fullbacks ever to play pro football. For 16 years, uh, he was a, a, a fullback, and one of the things that he did so well is that he saw his primary role as a servant, basically to be a blocking back so that others could be successful. So in his 16 years, Richardson primarily is known for what he did for others. So uh, when he's playing for the Kansas City Chiefs, 2001, he had been slated to be the, their number one running back. He goes, no, Priest Holmes, he's going to be the guy. And in a Sports Illustrated article, Priest Holmes said this, Tony Richardson came up to him and said, you know what, it's time for me to step out of the way. You need to be getting the ball, and I'm going to do everything I can to help you. And so Priest Holmes, what happened? He went on that year to lead the league in rushing. And Tony Richardson never grew envious or resentful. Priest Holmes said, like, man, Richardson would call me up and say, whoa, I just saw you on SportsCenter. And he was happier for me than I was for myself, you know? I mean, this guy was all about me doing well. That's why he's considered one of the best fullbacks to ever play in the NFL. You know, during his seasons, he actually blocked for multiple Pro Bowl running backs. Let me give you some that he blocked for. I'm sure you've heard of him. Obviously, you hadn't heard of Tony, but you've probably heard of Priest Holmes, Larry Johnson, Adrian Peterson, Thomas Jones. All of these are Pro Bowl running backs. All of this possible because of a guy named Tony Richardson. And it wasn't just blocking for him. This guy was the full package deal. 
He would be advising, pushing during the game, always coaching, always inspiring, correcting. He was with them the entire time. When Sports Illustrated did this interview, Tony Richardson said this. You know, I can't explain it, but it just means more to me to help someone else achieve the glory. There's just something about it that feels right to me. Friends, that's what took place with Kenobi. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about me having to teach him for others so that they'll grow. And that's what happens when you're growing in grace. You develop, develop a concern for others. Let me show you something else that happens. You also develop a commitment to Christ's interests. So he says, you know, I want you to know that I'm sending you Timothy. He is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Verse 20, and look at verse 21. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. No one compares to Timothy. Now, verse 21 is pretty troubling. I want you to know why I find this to be a pretty challenging verse in the New Testament. This verse tells us that you very well can be a Christian, but not concerned for the interests of Christ. You see that in verse 21? They all, he's talking about what? Fellow believers, fellow Christians, they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. If you want to know, well, what does it look like to have Christ's interests? You're not going to do better than just like reading Philippians chapters 1 and 2. It's just kind of like shows you what does it look like to be concerned about the interests of Jesus. Just to whet your appetite. I mean, it's probably going to rain today. So, like, why don't you read Philippians chapter 1 and 2 and see what a Christ-centered perspective, Christ's interests are. Like, even in chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, there is a dedication to God's holiness. You're trying to cultivate a holiness in people's lives of, of showing the glory of Jesus and the beauty of being set apart for him. There's a dependence upon God's word. Look at verse 16. Holding fast the word of life. You're helping people understand how God's word has a role in their life. Shaping, guiding, correcting, influencing. Or even in verses 17 and 18. There's this idea that you have a devotion to people, God's people. You're pouring out your life like a drink offering. Friends, these are the interests of Christ. And Paul is saying, you know what? I'm sending you Timothy. This is an example of a guy who's not only concerned for you, He's committed to Christ's interests. You'll see that. You want to see every person made complete in Christ. You know that you are emerging as a spiritual shepherd, whether you're working with our children, college kids, with our youth, whether you're an elder, whether you're a small group leader, when you're concerned about the maturity in Christ of the individual. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and his glory. And that's what you find here. Timothy is considerate and committed to their development. He's praying for help. He's, he's concerned when they're stepping into sin. He's warning. He's correcting. He's praying with. He's loving on. He's caring. He's inspiring. He's giving them next steps. He's encouraging them to take it. And friends, this is a work of grace. You and I, we always gravitate to a self-centered perspective. Self is a very alluring idol. A apart from the grace of Christ, you and I proactively seeking the face and of God and growing in grace, you know what happens? We just eventually end up self-centered again. You and I wake up self-centered, not God-centered. It's almost like you need to begin your day engaging him. And what happened is Paul modeled this. Timothy experienced it, and now Timothy is being sent to do this in Philippi. 
See, Paul had instilled in Timothy the joy of serving Christ's interests, not your own. Maturing in the faith, giving your life away, investing it. Paul had done it with Timothy. Timothy now was going to do it with the people in Philippi. Now, I'll tell you, this is one of the great joys of being a part of Fellowship Bible Church. We have so many people that are actually concerned about others and committed to Christ's interests. You know, this just simple yet profound vision of growing deep in Christ and reaching out to others, it's happening. You see it. So like on Wednesday, uh, I was here kind of just stepping by and checking on some folks and seeing how things were going before I went to an elders meeting. And I, and I walk in here and I see students and their leaders. There's investment being taken place. Care, committed. They could have done other things, but you know what? They've actually realized that Christ has called me to be committed to his interests and be concerned for others. And I made my way down the hall and, and I saw these men, their leader, who actually is now discipling these other leaders, and they all had their groups of guys and they were actually investing in them. And then I saw a women's minister doing the exact same. We had women leaders and they were leading their groups. And then I checked in uh, with, our, with all the elementary kids and we had one of our missionary couples that's been staying with us for a year. And they were sharing what it looks like to be a family trying to reach people far from God in another country. It was awesome. And as I made my way through the children's wing, I heard little voices singing, Jesus loves me. And I, oh, I can't miss this. And lo and behold, there were our Joy Club singers, and they were going after it. They're not only singing, four of their leaders were teaching them not only how to sing Jesus loves me, they were teaching them how to sign it about Jesus loves me. How powerful is that? Friends, what do you say? Friends, this is people committed to Christ's interests. Just last week, we hosted this conference for the EFCA on leadership. I am still hearing about how wonderful the people of Fellowship Bible Church are. Why? Because it's true. You actually concerned about others and you're willing to serve? You're committed to Christ's interests. This week, I got this picture. Here's some of our ladies. Karenette has this new home where they are investing in the lives of these moms and their kids and trying to help them have a whole new trajectory to life of walking with God and making good choices in life. And there are some of our ladies right there. And what are they doing? They brought food. They sang them songs about the faith. They read to them, and they loved on these ladies and these little kids. What's going on here? These are people that are committed to Christ's interests. It's people of grace. It's exactly what Paul has commissioned Timothy to do. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, learning to go to Jesus to find your strength, being shaped by his word, what happens is we have a grace-shaped life. And what happens is you start getting concerned about others. You begin having a real commitment to Christ's interests. And let me give you a third here. You become competent to serve. Look at beginning in verse 22. Paul writes, But you know of his proven work, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go for me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Paul says, you know, I'm not exactly sure how this is all going to play out. I think that I'm going to be released. But justice doesn't always come through the justice system of Rome. He understands that. He says, but I'm trusting in the Lord. I, my life is in his hands. I'm hoping to come. But until I get there, if I get there, I'm sending you Timothy. 
And notice how he describes him. Verse 22, you know of his proven words. You see that? That word has the idea of proof through testing. It's that you, through the testings of life, you've demonstrated perseverance and character. You've learned to be faithful in the midst of difficult circumstances. You've grown competent to serve. It's what the Lord does through relationship with himself. He wants to take you from where you're at and help you mature and develop so that you're competent to serve in the areas that he's placing. And so you find that he says, you know his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. You see, 2,000 years ago, most vocational training was done when boys were basically apprenticed to their dads. You carried on the family business. You learned how to do the trade by working with your father. So, do you remember Jesus? His earthly father? Anybody have to remember his name? That's right, kids. That's right, Joseph. This is really good. You guys are good. All right, we're going to do more family Sundays. All right, Joseph. That's right. And what was Joseph's trade? That's right, he was a carpenter. And where? what did Jesus learn? Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth. That's how it was done. But in Timothy's case, his father was a Greek. We actually have no idea if he's even still alive. When Paul picks him up, he says, he served me like a father, like a son serving his father. I trained him. I invested. I developed him. I discipled him. That is the picture of discipleship. And that's what he did with, with Timothy. He says, you know what? He is competent to serve. He is of proven worth. Timothy learns just like you and I learn. We make mistakes, we fail, we grow, we take advantage of opportunities, we learn from our experiences, we learn from others, we're encouraged, we pray, we find forgiveness when needed, but we move forward by faith. And I'll just give you, this is like the mentor's method. It's, it's not really anything too sophisticated. This is what you see Paul doing. If you want to help people develop or you want to be developed, let me give you the mentor's method. It starts off whether, whether you're going to learn how to teach or lead, um, how, to, how to share your faith, how to provide in some sort of ministry, how to serve, how to extend hospitality. This is how it works. First, it's like an invitation. Hey, you watch me do this, okay? And then second then, after they watch you, you say, you know what? I'll tell you what. You help me do this, okay? I'll do it, but you help me, all right? Okay. Then the third is, you know what? I really see you catching on to this. You're getting this. Good. God's at work. I'll tell you what. You do this, and I'll help you. All right. That's good. And then the fourth, the fourth stage is this. You got this. God's at work. You do this, and you go find another to invite into this process. It's the mentor's method. It's the grace-shaped life, and that's what you find happening here with Timothy. You see, God's grace had developed him and shaped him, given him a concern for others, a commitment to Christ's interests, and developed competency. God wants you to grow and develop he brings people into your lives. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He gives you experiences, and he wants you to grow in grace. That's why Paul is writing to Timothy, listen, you just stay with Jesus. Be there for my son. Be strong in the grace, that free, loving relationship you find in Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And it's a long-term pattern. But I will tell you this. God's grace brings health and growth. It's the miracle grow of grace. Timothy's life could be illustrated as being on the path of growing in grace. 
my life, your life, you are on the path of growing in grace. And let me just tell you what that looked like. It had a point where relationship with Christ began. So there is a beginning where you have a relationship now where you are trusting in Christ. doesn't mean that you know all the answers. You just know that I'm a sinner and I am trusting Christ as my Savior. He's the Lord of my life. And a relationship begins, a real, a personal relationship with Jesus. And you begin walking with Christ. And then, the, as you keep moving on this path, it goes from just beginning to establishing. It's kind of like a tree. You start off as a little sapling, right? Just a little root and a boop. Just a little, little sapling just coming right up there. Christ is in your life, and you're just starting to grow. But as you grow, you start getting established. So like a little sapling starts sinking more and more roots, deeper and deeper down. And the residual effect is it starts going up, up, up. You see like a little trunk starting to develop. And that's what happens in our life. You and I, trusting in Christ, Christ literally lives in our lives. We start sinking deeper roots and knowing God and his word. The residual effect is we start growing up. We start reaching out. Our, we're starting to branch out. It's establishing. It's, it's growing in the path of grace. But there is a third kind of aspect of this development of this path of grace. And this is so very significant. It's a significant development of grace when a person moves from just being established to starting to serve. It's as if the tree now is branching out, and now you've got branches that are strong enough for the birds of the air and the kids of the neighborhood, right? They can start climbing in you. You actually are serving. You're moving from, it's all about me, to, you know what, it's, it's really all about Jesus and how he might use me and others. And you start serving. And that's happened in Timothy's life. He's, he started off a sapling, beginning, establishing, serving. And then they give you then the fourth aspect. The fourth really manifestation of this is that you then start multiplying. You intentionally are developing Christ-centered, reproducing disciples and leaders. It's like a tree that's bearing all sorts of fruit, like acorns coming down, and you have other little trees that are starting around you. God is literally using you to shape, develop, and invest in the lives of others who are on this exact same path. It's the path of growing in grace. It's what we see in Timothy's life. That's why he's being sent. That's why Paul is writing him. And I've got a question for you. Where are you on the path of growing in grace? Beginning, establishing, serving, multiplying. See, God's grace really is amazing. And the miracle of, grow of grace is that God produces grace, growth, and health through relationship with him. Sanctification and salvation. Personal ministry and expanding ministry. And that's the beauty of a grace-shaped life, friends. Jesus at work in his people. It's why Paul said, Timothy, my beloved son, you therefore be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. God's grace brings health and growth. Let's pray. Lord, how powerful it is to see right here in Scripture the working of grace freely given by you, found in relationship with Christ, and you mature us and you develop us You've done it in Timothy's life. You're doing it in our lives. And Father, for someone who has come here today, they're not even sure how they got here, but you brought them here to bring them to your son. Would they simply pray with me and say, Lord, I turn from myself and my sin, and I'm asking for forgiveness 
salvation and for you to be the Lord of my life. I'm trusting in Jesus as the payment for my sins. And Lord, for all of us, you are shaping us, developing us, maturing us through grace. So Lord, have your way in us. Do your work through us. Mature us for your glory. We pray and ask in Jesus' name.